Hello, this is Mike Burek, your host and producer of Krenitsa, The Well, a podcast series about topics of interest to Ukrainians around the globe. Today is Tuesday, December 27, 2022. This episode is produced for The Ukrainian Weekly, a newspaper published in English for the global Ukrainian community since 1933. Our guest today is Anne Howard, who is a co-writer of the book, Escape from Mariupol, A Survivor's True Story. Welcome, Anne. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. How are you, Mike? Good, good. Thanks for joining us today. Pleasure. So to start off with, can we talk a little bit about your educational and professional background? Yeah, sure. Uh, I did a bachelor's degree in English literature at McGill University in Montreal, Quebec. And it was there that uh, I won some creative writing awards and realized that, you know, I really wanted to pursue writing. Uh, I, thereafter, I also wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> so I went to University of Cincinnati College of Law and uh, got a JD, a Juris Doctorate, and went on to practice law for 20 years before retiring a little bit early and devoting myself to writing full-time. So how and why did you become a writer? And I assume you're not writing full-time at this point, that you're still practicing law? No, uh, I uh, allowed my license to become inactive a couple years ago. I had written a true crime book uh, about a serial killer who I'd gotten to know. And then after that, there were a lot of TV shows and podcasts. And from there, I wrote a paranormal historical romance book that's coming out in January. And I also wrote Escape from Mariupol, A Survivor's True Story. And your original genre then was true crime stories, correct? Uh, yeah, but, you know, I kind of consider myself just a writer at heart. Um, you, you asked me, you know, how I came to become a writer. Um, it's, it was really ever since childhood. I just knew that I loved to write. I was always writing in my diary and writing short stories. I remember one particular moment when I was about eight or nine reading my first book without pictures, just writing. And it was uh, the biography of Annie Sullivan, uh, Helen Keller's teacher. And I remember just thinking, wow, to be able to put these words on page and convey this story and have someone read it and fill their mind with all of these ideas, what a wonderful gift to be a writer. So I think it was at that point that I decided to become a writer while always knowing that I also wanted to become a lawyer. <laughs> so there were those two things going at the same time. When I write, what I look for is a good story. So the true crime that I wrote, I felt it was a good story that needed to be told. And I look more for stories that have impact on humanity, stories that explore questions of human evil, and also human nobility and human goodness. And I think that Therefore, it's not much of a skip from writing true crime to writing Escape from Mariupol, because Escape from Mariupol, one could argue, uh, talks about the truest crime going on right now in our world, which is uh, Putin's invasion of Ukraine and the killing uh, of thousands of innocent civilians 
the uh, evil of uh, inflicting such suffering on them, so much fear. Um, so this book really talks about crimes against humanity. Uh, and, you know, it's one thing for a serial killer or a mass murderer to kill, you know, 10 or 20 people. It's quite another for a political leader to attempt to wipe out an entire nation of people, many of them uh, young, children, elderly. It's, it's just about as sad and unjust as it can get. So let's get into the book a bit. Uh, you co-wrote it with someone called Adoriana Marek, which we should point out to our audience is a pseudonym. Yes. Uh, you talk a little bit about the book. Give us a brief synopsis of the story and also tell us about the research that you did for it. Sure. Uh, well, it tells the story of a young 31-year-old woman who lived in Mariupol, Ukraine, all of her life. And at the start of Russia's invasion on February 24th of 2022, uh, like most Ukrainians, especially those in Mariupol, Adoriana's world was turned upside down. You know, she had a very peaceful, happy life. She was single. She had a beloved husky dog. She'd, you know, meet with her friends, go to work, walk the dog along the Sea of Azov uh, or past the um, Azov stall you know, a steel plant and everything was, was fine in her life. And when the bomb started dropping on February 24th, uh, she fled to her friend's house uh, apartment uh, and they tried to figure out what to do because she didn't have a driver's license or a car like many people in Mariupol. She relied on public transit uh, and she had no way to get out. So eventually uh, it became so dangerous after a few days to stay in the vestibule of that apartment uh, that they sought shelter underground beneath a high rise building in the center of Mariupol. Um, on top of them, there was a auto parts store. And in this huge basement beneath the building, Adoriana hid alongside over 200 other civilians with her dog, with her husky dog, and the conditions in the five weeks that followed uh, of that shelter were absolutely horrific. Uh, they had no heat. It was still winter. Uh, they had no light, uh, no food, no water. Um, they were literally starving to death. And the little water they got was from the boilers in the basement uh, or from the dirty snow outside, which in itself was very dangerous to go above ground because there was always fighting in the streets. She could hear the Ukrainian soldiers and the Russian soldiers yelling at each other and shooting one another. The bombs were round the clock. I mean, uh, technically from about 4 p.m. until dawn, that's when they were heaviest. But you never knew if a bomb would drop in the morning or in the middle of the afternoon. So for those who would leave the shelter to try to get some food or go out and smoke a cigarette or whatever, many of them never returned because it was so dangerous to leave. Um, eventually she did leave the shelter when the bombing died down and she was evacuated by Russian soldiers to uh, Eastern uh, Ukraine uh, to parts that were occupied by Russia, and she was given the choice. 
you know, you either stay in this Russian occupied territory or you go to Russia and risk being placed in a filtration camp. So she stayed in that territory and devised a plan to escape at dawn and pay for a ride with a stranger who she didn't know if she could trust uh, to take her to central Ukraine where she would be free once again. And, and that's how she managed to escape uh, not only Mariupol, but Russian occupied territory. Uh, the research for the book um, was ongoing. I, I really loved the book, The Gates of Europe. Uh, that contributed to a lot of my understanding of Ukrainian history. And let me point out that book was written by the professor Serhii Plochi. Yes. Yep. Excellent book. And what I liked about that book was at the back of the book, he gave a timeline of modern day Ukrainian history. And it was just like a two or three page timeline. So that really helped me to put events in place. At the start of the book, I talk a lot about Adoriana's childhood because she was born in that crucial year of 1990 when the Soviet Union fell apart. So she's the new generation of Ukrainians. She Right now she's 32 years old, but many of her friends are Ukrainian soldiers fighting in the war now. And she still talks to them. Uh, and she talked to them throughout the book on her phone. They would send her urgent text messages telling her what place was safe, what area was not safe. Um, so a lot of my research helped me to understand Adoriana's childhood because Mariupol in the early 90s um, was still kind of ha had the residuals of communist control. You know, it wasn't until the early 90s, 91, I believe, that Ukraine became a democratic uh, sovereign nation. Uh, but she she could see the remnants of Russia and Russia's hold on Ukraine and Mariupol throughout her life. It was always there in the background. And her parents, in fact, her father is a Russian and her mother is Ukrainian. And how did you originally connect with Adoriana's family? Well, you know, it's a funny story. 20 years ago, um, I was building a very busy law practice and I had two young children and I was looking for an Eastern European nanny to come to America. I felt it was like a win-win where my kids would be exposed to that culture. I'm part Polish, so I'm always interested in that part of the world. Um, and I, I found a woman in Ukraine named Ina, and uh, she was 19 at the time, and she wanted to come and be our nanny, but it was too difficult to get her a work visa. So I ended up hiring a Polish nanny instead, but Ina and I kept in touch for over 20 years. And during that time, uh, Adoriana was a young, her younger sister. Adoriana was quite young when Ina and I started this friendship. So when Ina sent me cards and gifts, often Adoriana, who was a young girl at the time, would paint little pictures for me or send me little notes. So I knew her through correspondence, Adoriana. And when Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, Mariupol especially, I, uh, I contacted Ina who was then living in Florida. She ended up marrying an American and moving to Florida. And I asked her, how is Adoriana, your little sister? And she said, we're terrified. We have, we have no contact with her. Her phone's not working. We don't know if she's dead or alive or if she got out of Mariupol. 
she didn't realize at that time that Adoriana was hiding in the shelter uh, beneath the high rise. And uh, of course her phone had no connection. Um, so that that's how I got to know Adoriana. And when, when, uh, when Ina told me that Adoriana had successfully escaped Mariupol and was in Poland and on her way to a refugee shelter in the Czech Republic, I contacted Adoriana at the refugee shelter by email and I just reached out to her as a friend, you know, how are you doing? You know, what happened to you? And to my surprise, you know, she wrote me back all of these very long detailed uh, emails describing the horrors that she witnessed, you know, the, the killings of civilians, the, the crosses over the graves of civilians that Russian soldiers were known to pull from the graves to erase the evidence of their crimes. Um, she described everything to me. Uh, I think it was her way of kind of working through the post-traumatic stress disorder she had. And of course I'm a writer and I saw a great story. And I said, would you be willing to write a book with me about this and share your story? Because I think it's so important to know what happened to the civilians in Mariupol in those early weeks of the war, um, you know, Western journalists aren't allowed in there. So we, uh, except for drone imagery, we really have no way of knowing. And I think it's really important to have someone who survived it, to have her firsthand account. According to Ukrainian officials, over 23,000 civilians were killed in Mariupol in the early months of the war. So um, this is a firsthand account that gives you uh, the truth of what happened uh, from one woman's eyes. The other good thing about it was that we connected in probably about the end of April. And so it was also fresh in her head. You know, she had uh, escaped the shelter uh, at the end of March and left Russian occupied territory by the middle of April. So this was all, you know, she this just happened to her in the last few months. So that was something that was really beneficial because she could remember everything in great detail. If we were to write this book five years from now, she probably wouldn't have had such a great memory of uh, all the events. And has Adoriana had any contact with her family in Ukraine since she arrived in the U.S.? Unfortunately, no. That's something that weighs on her very heavily. Her parents, uh, again, Russian and Ukrainian, um, they've been married for decades, you know, at least at least 40 or 50 years. Um, they live in a village in Russian occupied territory. And she last heard from them in August when she was at the refugee shelter. Her brother, her older brother, uh, simply texted her and said, we are alive. And she felt great relief, but also concern because, you know, were, was he told that that was the only message he could send to her or what? We, do, we don't know. Um, and she hasn't heard from them since August. So she has no idea if they're still living in that house, if uh, Russian soldiers have taken over occupancy of the house, if her parents have perhaps been sent to Russia. Uh, and um, she has no way of contacting them. You know, Russia's isolated itself so much um, that there's no way that the family can uh, connect with her. And she's especially worried about her brother too, um, because a, a young man 
in Ukraine, in Russian occupied territory. Um, you know, who knows what, what has happened to him. So um, Christmas was a little hard for her. Um, I gave her a gift. I gave her many gifts, but one of the gifts I said, this is from your parents. And she just broke down crying, you know, cause she's, she's so worried about them. And unfortunately we're almost out of time, but I want to ask you one last question. How is Odariana adjusting to life in your home? And how does your family feel about having her there? Yeah. Well, fortunately, my husband and I are empty nesters. You know, we had kids young. So our two children are about Adoriana's age. Uh, our son is the same age as Adoriana, 32. Our daughter is 29. So they live independently. So my husband and I have a big house with a lot of room. And um, she brought her dog over with her. And we have two dogs. She's just been a wonderful addition to our family. Um, my husband and I can't help but view her as like a second daughter. Um, she even looks like our daughter. She looks like me. A lot of people, when we I go out and introduce her, they say, oh, I thought that was your daughter. And she's just blessed us. I mean, she's making wonderful Ukrainian meals for us. The borscht and, and she, you know, she's a fabulous cook. Um, she's taking English lessons online three times a week. Uh, we've arranged for her to get the work visa. She has a work visa, a Husky card for medical insurance. Um, she gets some benefits from the government every month. And she's just doing remarkably well, um, She, especially in light of everything she's been through. And we've also connected with a lot of Ukrainians in the community. Our American-Ukrainian neighbor donated a car and gave her a used car. And so she's learning to drive. And um, we've gone to many Ukrainian churches and uh, she's met many Ukrainians there. Some of them are refugees themselves. So uh, yeah, she's, she's really enjoying her time here. I, I hope she stays in America forever. I don't know what her plans are, um, but she's definitely here for, good, for the next two years under the United for Ukraine program that the Biden administration uh, started after the invasion began. And where can our audience find a copy of your book? I would say the best uh, places to look for it uh, would be on Amazon. Uh, if you just do a search on Amazon for Escape from Mariupol uh, by Adoriana Marik and Ann K. Howard. Um, you can also go to the publisher's website, Wild Blue Press, uh, and you can order it from them. Or uh, if you were to go to your Barnes & Noble or any local bookstore, if it's not on the shelf, uh, they can look up the ISBN number and order it for you, and you can pick it up at any uh, of the major book outlets in America. And thank you so much for joining us on Krenitsia today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mike. I have been speaking with Ann Howard, co-writer of the book Escape from Mariupol, a survivor's true story, which she co-wrote with the Ukrainian Adoriana Marek which of course is a pseudonym. And I'm Mike Burek, your host and producer of Kreditsia the Well, a podcast series about topics of interest to the Ukrainian community around the globe. Today's episode was produced for the Ukrainian Weekly, a newspaper published in English since 1933 in the US for the global Ukrainian community. Until next time, that's all for now.